Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Chris Bates, uh, mortgage broker. Are you founder? Do you call yourself founder of Wealthful? Oh, founder's got it's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Founder. Sounds like I'm sound, founding some. I don't call myself an entrepreneur either. So I don't really call myself a founder anymore. I probably do on my website or something. <laughs> um, business owner, I guess. I've got a business partner. So, uh, co, you know, co business owner, I guess. Um, co business owner, mortgage broker. <laughs> um, mate, yeah. we are here for the fifth and final episode in our property investor mini series. Uh, and this is where we're talking end game. So we've talked about like why property works. Um, how you can, you know, start out in property. Whether you're not necessarily first home buyer, if you are a first home buyer, or you're you're looking at making your first purchase, um, you can still contact Chris at Wealthful, by the way, and you should. But um, we've got a a property one hundred and one course on Rask Education. So this, I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you want to learn everything you need to know, like the basics of property before you start your journey, that's where you want to go. Um, but this final episode is about the end game and it's kind of culminating um, in the kind of, we've built our strategy, we've pursued it, we've got some property, um, we're either looking to refinance or we're transitioning a strategy across to maybe like share investing or whatever is on your mind. Um, one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about, Chris, is I was in a, an Uber, isn't this like cliche investment advice in an uber uh, i was in an uber and uh, i got picked up by this lovely bloke here in melbourne and he took me out to hawthorne which is in a city there and he um i just got chatting to him about finance because he asked me what i did and he's like yeah you know i've got uh he's actually while i was on the in the car to him he had it on loudspeaker his uh, accountant had called him about a property revaluation that, that's just been done and uh, he gets talking to me because I'm in finance and he says, you know, I've got this property inside my SMSF. It's $850,000. That's the valuation. I go, oh, great. So do you have any shares or like anything else in your portfolio? And he said, oh, I've got $600,000 of shares. I said, okay, 850 in property, 600 in shares. I said, oh, you know, is that interest? Obviously not giving him personal advice, of course. Uh, I said to him, how much, how old are you? If you don't mind asking, he said 67. Um, and I was thinking, Huh, okay. And then he told me he reckons that the property was $200,000 overvalued because he's familiar with the area. He thinks it's not worth that. And I was thinking, okay, how did you, so how did you meet this, um, how did you meet this you know, accountant and advisor? And it turns out they were introduced to each other. Yeah. Um, and I just started, you know, thinking, geez, like people in this situation probably need to get good advice. Um, and it got me thinking about how do you transition not necessarily saying that this person's got too much property, but how do you transition from, you know, riding, riding this wave of property investing for quite a while in the property market. And I'm thinking like strategies, 10, 20 years out from retirement, even in retirement, like what are the things that we should be thinking about at this stage? Mm. Look, it's an interesting one, right? Like I think there's, um, you need to always have the end in mind, whether it's business or work or, you know, relationships, um, I think with any type of investing and, and, you know, especially around sort of a lot of the end for most people is is stopping work or at least reducing and more pursuing more meaningful work, um, um, et cetera, right? So I don't really mm-hmm. like the word retirement per se, but, you know, it, I guess it's, you know, what you're trying to do is build an asset base that will provide an income that will support you for, you know, you might live for a long time as well. And so 
I think you, know, you might think you need money, you know, a million dollars. There's a lot of under, uh, misunderstanding around how much money you need. Oh, I think a lot of people just fall for the simple, you know, level one thinking. I need a million dollars in my super fund or I want $100,000 a year, um, you know, into retirement, et cetera. And um, that's what I'm aiming for. Okay, well, do you spend 100 grand a year? Oh, no, we live pretty frugally. I just like going hiking and, um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I like making my own lunch. I don't really spend any money, et cetera. And I haven't got a car and I ride my bike. Well, okay, so... You know, or the older person, you know, they love going on holidays and, um, you know, they spend way more than 100 grand a year and they're aiming for something. So I think it's a very personalized thing. I think my problem with property is that a lot of people think that it's the property's rent that they're sort of trying to do is they're trying to build up a rent role, I guess. And, and that's going to mm. be so I'll buy a property today that's renting out for $600, right? So I've got $30,000. As long as I pay that off, then I'm going to have $30,000 a year of income for my retirement set aside and maybe I'll buy two of those so i've and so they're they're saying that well i'll buy these assets today because then that'll provide me income in the future i think it's the wrong way of looking at it because what you're doing is you're focusing on what's something going to rent at and your plan is to pay your properties off through saving which is really difficult paying off millions of dollars of properties um through savings when you potentially should be doing that into super and paying off your home loan and kids education and etc like that so the, if I was thinking about my retirement, what you want to do is build up an asset base um, that's going to give you options, right? And it's going to potentially last you longer than you think you're going to live. Um, and uh, and the sole focus is that net asset base, right? And you've got to keep on focusing on that rather than say, um, you know, just buying properties and trying to buy them for rental incomes, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the, the problem with property doesn't really make sense as you get closer to time. So that person you spoke about with $850,000 property in their super fund, um, it's a lumpy part, right? So more than fifty mm. percent of his super fund is in a is a rental property. Assuming he's got it paid off, mm. it's probably only yeah, paying six six seven hundred bucks a week rent. Um, and so thirty grand a year he's getting out of that for his income. He's probably not living. That's why he's probably in the Uber. To be honest, he's probably needs to supplement that income. He doesn't want to share, sell down his share portfolio. Um, whereas you know, and maybe um, and so you know, for them, I think you know, I'd much rather eight fifty in shares than a residential property in my super fund. I can sell that down. You know, mm. when times are good, I can sell down a bit of the share portfolio. When times are bad, I can just sort of hold on, um, you know, et cetera. Whereas a property, it's like you're either in or you're out. And that's the big problem we see is that, you know, people get to retirement and they go, oh, I'll sell them. Okay. Well, if they're quality assets, you're going to pay capital gains tax. Maybe it's not that much because you're not working. But if it's you've been holding for 20, 30 years, it's going to be a lot more than the, the tax bracket. So it's still going to be 20, 25%. Um, and then you're going to sell, you know, lose all that money in capital gains tax. And then what are you going to do with it? Oh, I'm going to try to put it in super. We can't put it in super because you can't just all of a sudden try to put in a million dollars into your super fund when you retire. You know, you've got to be putting money into super over, you know, many years to get all the tax advantages. So, um, yeah, that's sort of the, you know, I guess the high level view is where people get it wrong is they they don't really have the goals that suit them. And then they they focus on residential property to provide income. Well, no, residential property is a capital growth play. What you're trying to do is buy an asset. It's likely to go up a lot over the time. And then when you get to retirement, hopefully it's servicing itself. Maybe it's not really paid off the mortgage, um, but then it gives you an option to sell it at some point in your retirement and top up your nest egg to, you know, live off basically. Um, how do you, how do you, let's, say, let's go, cast some mind back to episode four where we talked about um, like the portfolio investor, someone that might have more than one or two properties. How do you decide, how would you decide or how have your clients decided which property to sell first? Uh, so when they get to retirement, I mean, there's the house is already grown tax free, and 
you know, if it's a really quality asset, it's hard to sell, you know, because your friends, your networks, you know, you've got kids that have now grown up and they've got grandkids and you need the space, even though it's not always, you need that space, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, when you get into sort of that sell down phase, you know, it is sort of sort of looking at it and going, okay, if I sell that, I'm going to have to pay a bigger capital gains tax bill versus this one, maybe it's got a bigger debt. Um, I paid it. So, and maybe that's going to release enough cash to um, fund me for another five years, which means I can keep the better property. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to what assets going to be the better properties long-term um, and how much cash do they need. But I mean, really, I, I think the dream outcome at retirement is, you know, still having a big loan on your home, but it fully offset, mm. you know, if I could have a $3 million house, but a million dollar loan on it, it's got a million dollars in the offset account. When I get to, and I've got, I've maximized my super over 20, 30, 40 years, right? So I get to stop working. I've got, I can pull money out of my tax-free growth super. I can take money out of my offset account when I don't want to take more money out of my super. So if you get a 20, 2008 sort of scenario and super fall down 30, 40%, I'll just take my minimum pension out of that and I'll supplement my income in those periods by just using a bit of my equity in my offset account. Um, just gives you another lever, another cash pool. You, last thing you want to do is start to get asset rich, but cash poor. And that's what residential property becomes. People pay them off and you've got a, five, a million dollar property with no debt on it and it's giving me 30 grand income. I'm not, I, don't feel, I don't feel rich unless I sell it. And so what you want to do is always be thinking about, can I keep on building up cash in offset accounts and um, liquidity plus be holding um, an assets? Um, and then when you're running out of liquidity or you think, you know what, it's probably not a bad idea. I'm, I think I've, you know, had that property for you know 20, 30 years. Yeah, I'm going to pay a big capital gains tax bill, but it's going to, you know, really top up my cash flow position. I'm going to release a million dollars of cash. So now I went from being asset rich to, to cash rich again. Um, so that's when you'd sell down. Mm, okay. Um, I feel like because you've got that experience as a, as a former financial yeah. advisor. Um, so I feel like, you know, if we go back to the example of that, a guy with an SMSF, um, I feel like he, he, there might be a lot of people that are in that situation. Um, how can people, I guess, think about, and I'm not asking necessarily for your view on like the stock market versus everything else, but how can people maybe view their, where they're getting their income streams from? Like where have you seen it most effectively? You gave the example there as an offset account. Um, people just tend to shovel, get to a point in their, their, their strategy, maybe say, 45, 50, let's just use an example. Um, and they think, okay, I'm going to put more of my money into superannuation because I'm going to, that's how I'm going to kind of slowly trickle it into an income producing asset. Yeah, like how they manage that money in super and, um, you know, whether they actually use growth as income, you know, like you could, don't have to, this is the big sort of fallacy out there is you don't have to produce and a lot of people think I want to spend what I earn, right? Um, but mm. when they think about their income, they think, well, I can only live off the income my assets produce, um, the actual income, the dividends, right, and the rents. Well, that's forgetting that your assets may be growing in value, right? And if your assets grow 30% in value, then that can be seen as income. It's your net asset positions improved, et cetera. So, you know, I think this is a big mistake people get to retirement is they go too conservative. They, they go for buying all income-producing assets and they don't have much in the growth um, mm. and, you know, and who's to say that you can't just sell down your growth to provide, top up your income. Um, and that's it. So there's, you know, this is what we got out of advice is because that is a real, the skills in managing someone through that transition to retirement 
guidance on where to hold assets and what to sell down, what pocket to use, how it affects your pension, um, you know, transitional part uh, money down to kids, inheritance that you're maybe receiving around retirement age, how, what to do with that, how to manage your super, um, you know, your wills, your estate planning. That's why you go to an advisor at that stage to guide you through this whole process. And so hopefully that answers your question. Now, if you have a residential property that, yeah, maybe it's giving you, you know, 30, 40 grand of income. Yeah, that's great. But I mean, it's probably held personally. It's probably not in your super fund. Um, so that's using some of your sort of tax-free sort of thresholds, et cetera. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I would love to, you know, I think you, you get to retirement, you've got good capital growth properties that are working for you. You've got your house that's been an amazing investment growing tax-free, which gives you options to downsize um, and put more money into your super or buy, you know, shares. And then also you've used equity to buy shares because at some point when you've built enough equity and your um, income growth starts to slow down, right? whether it's personally you don't want to keep climbing the tree or you don't want to keep, you want to start um, transitioning the business a bit more from the growth into the, um, you know, then, you know, just trying to increase your income all the time. Borrowing capacity will run out, right? And you go, well, that's it. That's enough residential property for me, you know. I've got my house. I've got two good investment properties, but I'm not going to go and take on another one or $2 million of debt. I just don't feel comfortable at this age. I could get made redundant. And, and so you start, you stop de- risking up with residential because it's so lumpy. You're getting closer to retirement. And this is where I think you should just forget about residential property. I've got enough of it. Now I should just keep on trying to focus on paying off my home and building up buffers. And I should look at share portfolio and my super. And so I think the big myth with residential property is that you build up assets and then you you build up an asset base uh, through multiple properties. Then you sell the properties and pay off two properties. Mm. Well, you're still in a pretty poor position. You've got two assets that are lumpy paid off. What are you going to then do? Sell them down when you need it to, you can't sell a brick. Um, <laughs> and so that strategy is flawed, right? Um, you know, my belief is that you're buying two good properties. Well, you just decide at some point through your retirement that when you want to top up your cash flow, your cash position, not so much your day-to-day cash flow, um, then you sell down a property and it releases a big lump of cash because you bought it, you know, 30 years ago. It's obviously had a lot of growth. You try to keep the loan, the you know, whatever you purchased it at the whole time, but whatever, it's still going to release a bunch of cash. Mm, um, and that just seems like the, yeah, the most sensible way to do it. Um, there have, I don't know if this is, because I, I, I don't have much experience with this. And by the way, I just want to circle back to what you said about getting advice at this level and this at this age bracket. If you push through, you've got your assets, um, you're thinking about things like estate planning, sequencing, transition to retirement. These are super, super valuable times to get advice. You've got a bigger balance, you can afford it. So go and do it basically because they'll, a financial advisor will be able to model the pension, um, transition to retirement rules, all that sort of stuff. Um, how about like things, I don't know if, you have much experience with it because I imagine your demographic is a lot younger than this. And this is pushing it right up to the other end is reverse mortgages. Do you ever come across them? Look, I think it's, they're not really out there that there's a bit of a danger around them though, because, you know, ASIC look at them and go, look, you don't really, so, you know, think for example, if someone goes and sells a reverse mortgage, right. And then they sold them something they couldn't afford and they get kicked out. And then they, the kids are going to be all over that. Who sold them that? That put mum and dad in a bad position. That lost our inheritance, et cetera. So it's a really dangerous area. Then, you know, potentially um, explaining the product and making sure they understand how it works and, um, you know, mm. and the interest costs and the compounding of that interest when you don't potentially have to pay it and how that really eats the equity. And, and so we don't go anywhere near it. There are 
options there. And, you know, as part of a good advisor, when they're getting to that stage where they're potentially running out of cash, um, this is why we say build your offset accounts up because an offset's like a reverse mortgage. You get to retirement with no debt, but you've got a million dollars in your offset account, right? Yes, that's going to reduce over time because you can't extend your loan term anymore. But when you're in your late 50s, et cetera, yeah, get your 30-year loan, which is crazy, right? Someone at 60 can get a 30-year loan. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, your million-dollar loan is reducing, but you still got a million dollars in your offset account. Now, if you get, you need $50,000 because your cash flow position is short, you can take out the offset. That's like a reverse mortgage, but it's done at residential rates. It's not done at some, you know, higher interest rate. Um, you haven't got a margin call or anything like that on it or a certain equity you've got to hit, um, et cetera. So, um, but this is very sophisticated, right? Like this is when people are very good with their money, which I've said a few times on all the other episodes, this isn't targeted at people who are um, not targeted, but, you know, if people are not very good at managing the day-to-day and they're yeah. living dollar to dollar. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I feel like for those people, you know, there are plenty of other solutions in the market, like just industry super funds, for example, yeah. putting money, uh, putting money into your super fund for that and maximizing those before tax contributions, after tax contributions, if you get to that point in life, paying or not paying if your mortgage necessarily having that offset account as a, as that buffer and that interest kind of covering that on your, your primary residence. There's so many other levers you can pull, but like you said, a lot of those strategies and a lot of the strategies we're talking about are you've developed your property investment strategy years in advance, maybe even decades in advance. Yeah. And you're coming, how do you transition out of that? Um, I do think they're going to eat more, going to come on. There was, I forget the name of it, but anyway, there was one that uh, home equity or something like that. And a lot of fintech's going to come in this place. It's a real sort of, you think the property market's worth 10 trillion, right? Mm. Um, which is crazy. And I don't think it's ever, it's, it's obviously a moving target. Also. This is what's worth 10 trillion. Loans, it's worth 2 trillion, right? So, $8 trillion of equities around there, right? A lot of that, if you think about, and this is the, when we go about quality asset, the quality assets are where in areas where 30 or 40% of the properties have no debt, you know? Mm-hmm. They've been living there for 20, 30 years. They've paid it off. They've got no mortgage on them. So when interest rates go up, do they care? No. Do they? Does it mean they have to sell their house? No, because they've got no debt, et cetera. So in the coming years that interest rates increase, some areas, 30, 40% have got no debt, 30, 40% of them have got very low debt because they bought maybe in 2008. Mm. Um, and pre the, you know, if you think about that house in Sydney that they bought it for a million, now it's worth three. Well, then when they bought that, they had an $800,000 mortgage. That mortgage is now three, 400,000, right? And so a lot of people have in these suburbs, in good suburbs, because only around like three to 5% of properties transact in a suburb um, each, each year, right? Um, and of that three or 5%, you know, and especially in the quality streets, that's much lower. Like it might only be 2% of the properties transact, right? Um, and mm. so, yeah, that's sort of another thing just to think through is that I reckon there will be innovative sort of products that come in around this sort of equity release um, for people who um, want to get access to it. Mm. Um, so I'll just run that down. So less than 5% of properties turnover and much lower than that in the quality suburbs. Yeah, in quality suburbs. And the better streets even worse, like even less. So you think about it, like if you go look at your suburb mm. and you look at the sales in the last 12 months, we look at where those properties are selling, there'll be a high number of properties selling on the poorer roads. In fact, you'll probably see that there'll be lots of properties on the poor roads. Now you go to the best streets. Everyone can figure out the best streets, the quiet streets, the ones with the best um, views, the bigger blocks, the, you know, good access to the city, you know, go look how many properties have sold in those in the last three years. Very few. 
Because people say, well, why would I leave this street? You know, I've lived here for 30 years. It's been my best house. I know it's the best street. Why would I leave? And so they, those properties turn over so much less. So when you get those assets, um, you know, if you ever decide to sell, everyone's like, oh, I'd love to get into that street. All of a sudden, you know, um, they've been waiting for years. Um, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll always see, like a, and, and, that, and they're usually the danger zones, to be honest, when you see a, a group, and you can easily see this on domain or real estate, you'll see all these red dots on certain streets and certain streets with no red dots with sales in the last three years. You're like, okay, these are the pockets people really want to live and don't want to leave. These are the pockets where people move in, they sell a year later. Um, I was just joking my wife this morning when drove past the house. I was like, that property's turned over three times since we've been living here in two years. Um, because it's an awful property. You just wouldn't want to live in that house. Um, and it's cursed. So, yeah, I think people move in. They go, hang on a sec. Every morning, every morning and night, I must feel, I'd be worried if someone's going to drive through my front window. Um, yeah. It's not abandoned. It's like, it's pretty scary. But anyway. You can mm. see those things like in a suburb and they're the streets you don't want to be in because, um, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Chris, this brings us to the end of our Property Investor mini-series. Um, we've covered a lot of ground in a pretty short period of time for folks. Um, we, I'll just refer once again that people can access the um, Property 101 course on RASC Education. Um, it's fully online. Uh, you get downloads and everything. It's got Amy Lenardi, uh, buyer's agent, and Chris Bates here, um, we'll say uh, co-business owner of Wealthful and Mortgage Broker. Um, but you can access that. And also uh, people can, of course, head to wealthful.com.au and get in touch with you or the team, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I mean, thanks so much for, you know, doing this series, Owen. I think like you said, we just want to sort of, you know, give people some, you know, clear advice around property that I, I think people need to be very hesitant when they're talking around property. And definitely if you are a, uh, we say, you know, certain professions that are very good at what they do and they go, look, this isn't my cup of tea property. I'm going to go and seek advice and they go and potentially invest in the wrong person, right? And they get taken down the wrong path. And so um, just remember, it's got less regulation than the investment markets and lots of other things. So um, yeah, hopefully this has helped people make better decisions. Yeah, for sure. And just for transparency too, uh, we receive nothing or RAS receives nothing for working with Chris yep. on this show. We're just, we're just, mutually just trying to educate people and help you and you know what chris it turns out some of our property episodes we've done hundreds of episodes but some of our property episodes are in our top five um so people want to to listen to this and i know you've um got the podcast you do your own stuff as well so um hopefully we can have you back soon and if not uh mate um here's to a good 2022 for the property market and beyond yeah, I mean, I think a great episode I love doing is Q&A because I think it's people, allow people then can apply that to their situations. Mm. And, you know, if you're up for it, Owen, I've just dropped it on you here. If it, you know, we could do a Q&A episode. So if you get any listeners want to send through questions and go, Chris, that didn't make sense. Or, you know what, let's run this past him. Let's see mm. what he thinks in this situation. It's a really, hopefully that'd be a cool episode for people. So yeah, for sure. send, your, send your questions to Owen and we'll, <laughs> we'll do that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you do, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? Because um, bucket load of questions. Um, so you can send your questions through to emails at ras.com.au or probably actually the easier one to get through to me quicker is podcast at ras.com.au. Um, send your questions through and um, Chris and I will come back online and answer your questions um, in a session. So, mate, thanks for doing the series with me and uh, had a heap of fun. Awesome. Have a great weekend, Owen.